Um, you know, one of the, the most important verses uh, in the book of Daniel comes right towards the end uh, of Daniel, in Daniel chapter 11. And I'm going to read it from the New King James Version because it says it uh, in such a clear way. And it'll come up on the screen if you haven't got a Bible. It says this, The people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. The people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. In other words, the people who know God will thrive. They will thrive. They may not necessarily mean that they get the top job. It might not necessarily mean they get the biggest house or the biggest car. That's not what we're talking about when we're talking about thriving. We're talking about thriving as God intended, living life as God intended, connected to God, spiritually thriving, thriving in our lives. And and this verse is so important. The people who know their God will be strong and they will thrive. And I want to say this morning, whoever you are, wherever you're from, there's a difference between knowing about God and knowing God. And Daniel and his three friends didn't just know about God, but they knew God. They had a relationship with God. And because of that relationship with God, they thrived exactly where they were. Now, I had an amazing experience that happened to me this week. It's amazing to me. It might not be to you. And I already prepared this message, so this is away from that. But this just, to me, just really encapsulates what I want to say. So on Tuesday, just before our life group, the life group that I'm a part of, just before that happened, I had a Facebook message uh, from a guy that used to be in the youth group that I used to run over 25 years ago when I was in the Salvation Army. Now, I bumped into this fellow once or twice in the last 25 years. That's it. I have no idea what he's doing in terms of faith or God. I don't think he's doing anything, but I'm on Facebook with him. And he sent me a message, and I read the message, and, and he said this, Hi, Leon, he said, I went to see a film this week called God's Not Dead. Anyone heard of the film? Some of you have heard of it. I'll talk about that in a minute. He said, and it's totally blown me away. He said, all these scientific arguments that I've heard all these years about the existence of God, and how can you believe in God and be a thinking person, science has disproved faith. He says, the film has turned the whole thing on its head for me. And so I entered into a conversation with him on Facebook about the film and about God. And I said to him, it says, interestingly enough, I said, last week or the week before last, I listened to a professor of maths from Oxford University who also is a Christian theologian who uh, debates regularly with people like Richard Dawkins, who you may have heard of, well-known atheist in our culture. And so we had this whole debate on Facebook. And then as I kind of finished that and we went into the life, I thought to myself, you see, the film is an American film, okay, a Christian film um, uh, around the whole thing and it's called God's Not Dead. But they brought it out in the cinemas here and then they took it off. But then they brought it back again. So I thought, you know what, I'll go see the film. So I went to see the film this week and here's the thing, the amazing thing that happened to me this week. I went after work in a tea time uh, on Friday and and I went into uh, the showcase, Dudley, and I watched the film on my own. Actually, I wasn't on my own, I tell a lie. Because there was a little old lady, a West Indian lady, who also joined me in the cinema. She sat a couple of rows down and she came in and she, she, she put all the shopping bags around. And I, no kid of a, no of a lie, okay, no word of a lie, she got out a box of chicken. <laughs> no stereotypes here, West Indians in the house, okay? I'm not saying there's rice and peas or anything like that, but she got, she got a chicken out. She got the chicken and she ate the chicken, okay? And, and then the film started. And so... Now, I'm not going to recommend the film because I've made the mistake from this stage of recommending films to you before. Some of you have been to see the films and had a go at me because you didn't like the film. So I'm not recommending the film, all right? It's up to you. Take your choices. It's up to you. I'm not bothered whether you go and watch it or not. There are some things about the film I didn't like, okay? Let me just say that. But there's a central message to the film and it's this. This lad called Josh goes to a university and he really wants to thrive and it's Babylon to him. And he ends up in a philosophy class 
And the, the, uh, the philosophy uh, lecturer is a professor who's a declared atheist who basically says, look, you know, I'm an atheist. And, and his first lesson, he says, look, let's just get this conversation about God out of the way. Just sign on a piece of paper. God is dead. Sign your name. We can put that conversation aside. Then we can get on to talk about some really important things. We can talk about all these really clever people and the whole list of philosophers who are all atheists. And, and they go along the thing and everyone says, God is dead. Sign. And, but this guy, Josh, 19, I guess, 19, 20 years of age, can't do it. He says, I can't do that because I don't think God is dead. And so the, so the lecturer says to him, okay, so on the next three, three weeks, or you get three sessions, you get to come and argue the case of whether there's a God or not. And then at the end, the, the people in the class will decide whether they think God is dead or God's not dead. And that's basically the story of the film. There's a whole load of other things happening as well. But as I'm watching it, okay, this is the interesting thing. I've never been to a film before in a cinema where occasionally someone else in the cinema will shout out, Amen! <laughs> Preach that word! Yes! And I'm like, there's only me. Now, there's only me and the West Indian lady. So can I just say, it wasn't me. But as, 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 and, and I found myself getting a little bit amused and then a little bit irritated because it's in the movies. But then, you know, something happened towards the end which totally blew me away. And it's like God sneaks up on you sometimes, doesn't he? And just opens up your heart. Towards the end, there's a bit, I don't want to give the whole film away, but there's a bit at the end where these kids basically change their opinion and one by one, they all kind of say, do you know what? Perhaps God's not dead. Perhaps God's not dead. And as one by one, they all stand up to say, I don't think God is dead. I don't think she starts to worship. She lifts her hands in the air and she starts to worship and she starts to cry out to Jesus. And I ain't kidding you. I've got tears rolling down my cheeks. And I'm thinking, that woman knows God. And do you know what? So do I. I might not express it like that, but there in the cinema, God met me. And do you know what? I've got, I've got news for you as well. God's not dead. He's really not. Amen. Amen. <laughs> we'll do church this morning. Come on. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. Some, of you, some of you who are new, we get up every week and say, we're not weird. We're not strange. <laughs> a little bit. A little bit. But I looked at that and I thought, isn't that incredible? Isn't that incredible? The people who know God are not ashamed. The people who know their God are not embarrassed. You know, the people who know their God, they don't care. Put the chicken aside. Worship God. Fantastic. And you know, every week, we, we've been looking at a big idea about what it means to thrive. And the first week, we looked at this big idea. We thrive by making decisions consistent with our deepest values. That's what Daniel did. Last week, we looked at this big idea. We thrive by intentionally doing life with the right people. Today's big idea is this. We thrive by deepening our roots. We thrive by deepening our roots. You see, that's what this is about. This is meant to depict a root, and it shouldn't really grow in that kind of environment. And it's not really, you know that. But it's kind of growing and sprouting. It's this whole idea that, that when we thrive in a hard environment, we thrive by deepening our roots. And in the plant world, roots are everything, aren't they? You see, not only do roots give the tree or the plant stability when the storms of life come, and we'll look at that next week, but they also, they go down and they seek out nutrients and water. And as they take that water and that nutrients into their own system, so they thrive. What you see on the outside is a reflection of what's going on on the inside. 
And I want to show you this this morning, just a couple of these roots that Daniel and his three friends deepened in order that they could thrive in their world. And to explore this, we're going to look at the two big stories in the, in the book of Daniel, okay? If you're not familiar with this, I'll tell it you as best as I can. If you are, you'll remember the stories, perhaps even from Sunday school. There are two big stories in Daniel, two big confrontations. The first one is when King Nebuchadnezzar erects a golden statue and asks everyone to bow down to it when they hear the music. Now the background is this, at the end of chapter 2, Daniel has interpreted the dream for the king, for his boss, okay, remember we looked at, you think you've got a bad boss, look at this boss last week, and he interpreted the dream for him, and and the boss, the king, was really impacted by Daniel, by his faith, and by God. And this is what it says in Daniel 2.47, the king said to Daniel, surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and the revealer of mysteries. For you were able to reveal this mystery. Then the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all its wise men. But in the next chapter, so having said your God is amazing, basically, okay, he's God, king of kings and all this. In the next chapter, he erects a statue and says, when you hear the music, bow down and worship it. And by the way, the statue is really a reflection of who he is. So he's saying, your God is the amazing God, but actually I'm better. What's God? Now, one thing you need to know, in between the end of chapter 2 and the beginning of chapter 3, there is 20 years, which we don't read when we read the Bible. But there's another point here as well, that just because you have an experience with God does not necessarily mean that you'll be changed by God. Just because you may have an encounter does not necessarily mean that you'll be transformed. And it may be that if you're not a follower of Jesus, you're saying something like this. Do you know what? I'm listening to all this stuff. If I was to see a miracle, then I'd really believe. Maybe you would, and maybe you wouldn't. I know lots of people who have seen and experienced incredible miracles, yet they're not changed. In fact, there's a a guy in the Bible called Thomas, who was one of the disciples that hung around with Jesus. When Jesus was crucified and buried, Thomas was disappointed like everyone else. But then Jesus was resurrected, and he appeared to the disciples showed who he was to them, but Thomas wasn't there. Thomas said, I don't believe it until I see it for myself. A week later, Jesus showed up to Thomas, and Thomas said, now I do believe it. And Jesus said this, you believe it because you've seen it, Thomas, but blessed are those who are going to come in the future who will believe even though they haven't seen. You, you see, you can have an experience with God, an encounter with God, and it doesn't necessarily mean that your life will be changed. You see, when you have an experience with God, what happens next is really important. Because after the experience, there must come a process or the root will not be deepened. And I hope and pray that some of you do have an experience with God, even today in this service. But what happens after that experience is absolutely vital. So here's a king who wants everyone to bow down to him. That's the nature of Babylon. Then if you fast forward it, many years and a few chapters to Daniel 6, you now see King Darius on the throne. Nebuchadnezzar's gone. Belshazzar, the next king, is gone. The Persians have invaded. They're now the superpower. King Darius comes along. And this is what it says in Daniel 6, verse 6. So these chief ministers uh, went as a group to the king and said, May King Darius live forever. The royal ministers, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors, don't worry about those words. They're just a whole load of court people and advisors, basically. They've all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. So you've got another king who sets something up and basically says, you pray to only me or I'm going to throw you in the lion's den. 
Now, why didn't he say, I'm going to throw you in the fiery furnace like the king of Babylon did? Well, that's because these Persians were Zoroastrianists. It's the question you've been asking as you've come to church this morning, isn't it? I know your life has changed. But the Zoroastrianists believe and they worship fire. And they would believe that if you threw a body into fire, it would pollute the universe. So they found a much more humane way of dealing with people, throw them to the lions to rip them apart. And that's basically what's going on here. Here's a king who wants everyone to bow down to him. That's the nature of Babylon. And you see, you and I live in a Babylon. We might not get, say, you know, if you don't do this, we'll put you in a fiery furnace. Or if you don't do this, we'll throw you in a lion's den. We don't get that. But the nature of the world in which we live in wants you and I to bow down and worship it. That's why the media is so powerful. And I'm not one of these people that say, don't have a telly and don't go to shops. I'm not saying that. But if we don't wake up to the power of the media, something's going to happen. Because basically, Babylon wants you to bow down and worship it. That's what it wants you to do. And tonight, we're going to look at in deep space. (laughs) Not in deep space. We're going to look tonight at chapter 7 to 12. Look at what the real nature of Babylon is. We're going to look at some of the real statues in our culture. Some of the societal tension, we're going to look at sexuality, we're going to look at social inequality, we're going to look at secularism, we're going to look at some of that stuff, we're going to look at the end times and prophecies and all that stuff, and we're going to have lots of coffee through the process. Can I just say that, okay? It'd be great to see you here tonight at seven. But what I want to look at right now is how do we thrive by deepening our roots? If Babylon is all about making us bow down and worship, making us bow down and acknowledge it rather than God, how do we thrive by deepening our roots? And I want to just show you something here. So, this is how it works, very, very simply. Here's Babylon, which for us is our world and our culture. What Babylon does to you and I every single day of our life is it puts us under pressure. Pressure to be, pressure to conform, pressure to behave in certain ways. What happens when we're under pressure is that you and I react, don't we? And we respond. And often, and we've looked at this, how do we thrive under pressure You know, we've looked at stress and those kind of issues. But here's the thing. The key to how we react to the pressure that Babylon exerts is all to do with what resources you and I have. Isn't that right? This determines how we react to the pressure that comes from Babylon. And I want to suggest that one of the main ways that we can get resources in our life is through the roots that we employ. If we deepen our roots, it will enhance our resources, enable us to react to the pressure that Babylon exerts. And I want to suggest that will cause us to thrive. Amen. So there are three roots. I mean, there's lots, but there's three main roots. Last week, we looked at the root of community. You know, if you want to thrive, intentionally do life with the right people. But there are two others that we're going to look at today, worship and prayer. I think, well, that's pretty simple. You're a Christian. This is a church. Yeah. But I want to suggest these two roots are so vital if you and I want to thrive in our Babylon. If we know God, not just know about God, but know God, the Bible said we'll be strong and we will thrive. So let's look at root number one, worship. We know whose tune we bow to. We know whose tune we bow to. In chapter 3, it says in verse 5, As soon as you hear the sound of the music, you fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. And he goes on to say the rest of the stuff. And this statue, this, this symbol, this icon of Babylon says, when you hear the music, fall down and worship. Eleven times in this chapter, the word worship is used. Now, worship is not just singing. Worship describes how we center our lives. It's like 
Who's at the center of our life? It's like, how do we do our life? How do we live our life? Not just on a Sunday, but the whole of our life. What do we do with our money? What do we do with our time? Who is most important in our life? And it's like, you can tell because we all leave a trail. Do you know that? And we leave a trail through the crumbs that we leave. And some of those crumbs are this, the energy we put in, the time we put in, what we do with our money, where our affection is, what we're thinking about. They're all crumbs that leave a trail to the throne in our life. And on the throne is the person that we worship. And for many of us in our Western culture, the person on the throne that we worship is us. But actually, when you, when you followed the crumbs of these guys, you would find God on the throne. That's who they worship. You see, when we leave a trail, all these things, and they end up to a throne, we understand, do you know something? Everyone worships something. But you know, an aspect of worship is singing. And I've discovered in my life that singing is one of those roots that actually connects me in worship to God in a very powerful way. It's not the sum expression of worship, but it's an incredibly powerful root. And we love singing in this church, don't we? And we sing in different styles, different music, like you've heard this morning, but we love singing. And if you're new to us, you might think, it's a little bit weird why you love singing so much. And sometimes you look around and you're thinking, some of you do things with your hands when you sing, which is a little strange as well. And that basically, look, all that is, is just, you don't have to do that. But that's just kind of welling up with inside us. So some of us want to just say, do you know what, God, you're just so great. You're above everything. And we just want to acknowledge that by raising our hands. Some of us, it's a little bit like when you've seen little kids running along to their mom or their dad and they put their hands up and say, will you lift me up? There's some of that in it as well that we say, God, you're bigger than us. I can't do this thing on my own. I don't want to do it on my own. I surrender to you. There's all kinds of reasons why we do that. But you might think, that's all right, singing. But you might think, but I can't sing very well. So I'm not going to do that. I want to really suggest, I want to encourage you, give it a go. It doesn't matter how bad you sing. If you're that bad, you can enter Eurovision. Do you know? <laughs> just saying, just saying. But actually, there's a little clip I want to show you now. I found this little kid. The quality is terrible. You can't hear exactly what he's singing. He is singing his heart and church. Watch the choir behind him and then watch what the pastor does at the end of this very short little clip. I, I empathize with that pastor so much. I've done that. <laughs> Thank you. Great. Lovely. But you know, it doesn't matter how you sing. It really doesn't. Didn't you just love the passion coming out of that kid? Do you know what I mean? It doesn't matter how you sing. God isn't after the quality of our voice. God's after what's going on inside. And when we sing, when we sing, we connect to God and we remind ourselves that God is bigger than. He's bigger than the statue. He's bigger than all of that. He's bigger than the Babylon. When we sing, we connect ourselves to God and we remind ourselves that God is greater than. You know, his, his love is stronger than. You know, there's more hope. When we sing, we connect to who God really is. And you might say, well, I don't feel like singing. You know, my world's tough right now. Is your world as tough as this? Acts chapter 16, verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Why were the other prisoners there? Because they were all in prison. And we know the end of the story. We know that God came and there was a miraculous thing and they were delivered out of prison. But they didn't know that. They were in the middle of their story. They were in a prison and they were singing to God. Something powerful about that, isn't there? You thrive when you deepen your root of worship, of singing and worship. You might think, yeah, but I'm not thriving right now. My life is unfruitful. It's almost barren. Yet there's that incredible verse in the Old Testament, in the book of Isaiah, where it says, sing, O barren woman. And in the Jewish faith, if you as a a woman were infertile or you were barren and you couldn't have kids, it was a sign of disgrace. You'd only sing when you became pregnant. You'd only rejoice when you became pregnant. But God says, no, you, you sing now. Don't sing because you're fruitful. Sing yourself into being fruitful. We don't only sing when we're winning, do we? 
We don't only sing when we're winning. We sing because he's already won. We sing because he has already won. And no matter where you are in your life, singing is an incredibly powerful route. And you know, one of my favorite stories, which I've told many times here, and I will tell until the day that I die. It's a story I heard many years ago about a Chinese pastor. And when, when China was under incredible persecution of Christians, unbelievable. And uh, this Chinese pastor was, was arrested and put in a, concent- uh, a concentration camp. And because he was a Christian pastor, he was given the worst job in the whole camp every day that he had to go down out into the field where all of the human waste out of the, out of the camp collected. And he'd have to go and he'd have to dig it all out. And because it smelt so bad, the guards would, would only go to a certain point, then they'd stay there, then they'd say, you go on ahead and do it, and we'll watch you. We can see you at a distance, but we can't kind of hear you. Just go and do it, because it smells so bad. And the story says, and he told this story at a conference in the 1990s in Brighton, and he said, I used to go there every day, and I used to walk up to my knees in all of that human waste. He said, but that is where I met Jesus. He said, because the guards couldn't come anywhere near me, so they couldn't hear me sing. And he used to sing. And this is one of his favorite hymns he used to sing. I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses. And the voice I hear falling on my ear, the Son of God discloses. And he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own. And the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. That's a man who knows God, isn't it? That's a man who's thriving. And you thrive when you deepen the root of singing and of worship. But secondly, prayer. Not only do we, do, do we know whose tune we bow to, but we know whose face we look to. We know whose face we look to. So the edict from King Darius, this is many years later, comes, no one's going to pray to anyone other than me. And what does it say about Daniel? He goes home in verse 10. Now when Daniel learned that the, that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to God, just as he had done before. You see, when the pressure came, his reaction was exactly the same as it was before. He's going to go and pray. Why? Because he had the resources. Why? Because he has deepened the root. And when we deepen the root, when the pressure comes down, we have somewhere to go. We have some resources. Let me say a few things. He faced the right direction. You know, now, this is not about what people do in some religions when they face a certain direction. That's not what this is about. His windows are open towards Jerusalem. What he's doing by looking out the windows, he's reminding himself that he sets his sight in line with the kingdom. That his direction is the kingdom of God, not Babylon. That's what that's about. And his prayer is rhythmic, not just reactive. In other words, he doesn't just pray spontaneously when he's in trouble. He actually prays rhythmically three times a day. Now, I'm not suggesting that's what you do, pray three times a day. But there is something about deepening the root that will come when we are more disciplined with stuff like connecting to God. And I love what Dan said, Dan Fong, when he said every day, you know, when he wakes up, he wants to read something or listen to something or, or listen to some worship music, just to reorient, to calibrate his life so that he's focused on God and on his kingdom. And he prays, the Bible says, with thankfulness. He's not thankful for what the king's just done and the fact that he might end up in the lion's den. He's not thankful for the circumstances. He's thankful in the circumstances. And that may be something, some of us, be something some of us need to hear today. And, and here's an interesting thing that in, in, in the Jewish faith, uh, men prayed in groups of 10 called a minion. That's not a little yellow person in Despicable Me, all right? Just for some of you. A minion with a Y. And basically, a group of 10 men as a minion. Um, would, would pray together and a synagogue service couldn't start unless there was at least one minion present. 
<laughs> sounds weird, does sound very despicable to me. Um, and basically they would pray standing up and often they would rock to and fro like that. And, and they would rock in front of a candle and that's symbolic of being uh, in relationship with the Spirit of God. And Daniel prayed like that with his friends often. But there are certain times like this when you see Daniel on his own, on his knees, just him and God. And we need that as well. So what brings you to your knees? And who are you when you're on your own? What's our relationship with God like when we're on our own? What's our connection to God like when we're on our own? What are our roots like? And if the big idea this morning is to deepen the root of worship and prayer, how are we going to do that? Let me just give you some practical things. And then we're going to create a bit of space for God to connect with us through worship, through singing, through the work of His Spirit uh, with us. But let me make a, a few suggestions. Individuals, so for all of you on your own, can I just suggest this? Make the corporate gathering a route that you protect and establish. You see, when we come together corporately like this, you will always sing when we're here, okay? Nine times out of ten, we'll always sing. There will be prayer. There will be that sense of, you know, I can sing this. And it doesn't matter what the style of music is or or not banjos again, do you know what I mean? Or, Or not that song again. That's immaterial. What really matters is that we connect to God. And you say, yeah, but I don't, I don't feel like coming this morning. Then it's going to be even more beneficial that you do. It really is. And then on your own, find rhythms the rest of the week that suit your life, but make them rhythmic, not just reactive. Try some different ways to worship and pray. One of the things that I do now is, is I walk over Clint and I put music in my ears, worship music, and I pray as I walk and I sing as I walk as well. I try and make sure that I'm on my own in certain bits and not to frighten you know, all the rabbits and foxes just diving away and stuff. But, but I do that and I find up a clen just singing again about how great God is. really helps me. It's a real root. But f- find some ways that work for you. And when I was studying this week and I was studying in a coffee shop because I often do that um, and I was preparing this very bit of the talk and, and, and a friend from another church emailed me and he said, I was praying for you this morning and I just felt this verse was from you. And it's Luke chapter 11 verse 1. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. That's all he said. So just felt that God wanted to say to you, he's going to create a certain place for you to pray. And what he didn't know was that week, we'd had a new chair in our house. How exciting is our life? Uh, and um, it's actually a chair that belonged to, to my dad. Um, and my uncle is an upholsterer, re-upholsterer, and we've got it now. But unbeknown to this guy, he wouldn't know this, I was thinking, you know what? I think that chair is going to become the chair where I'm going to pray in the morning. And I've started to do that this week. And he sent me this email saying, God is going to give you a certain place where you can pray. And and I had this thought for all of you. God's going to give you a certain place too. It might not be a chair. It might not be a walk. It might be somewhere else. But when we find a place to pray, it's like that is a certain place. Not only is that, it could be a place of certainty and of assurance and of connection where God helps you to deepen the root of worship and prayer. And if you're married this morning, I want to say a few words to you. I began this last week tonight talking about people that pray together as married couples. And I want to extend it a little bit. What about worship and prayer? (laughs) When Alison and I were first married, like millions and millions of years ago, um, uh, 25 years ago, I know, just celebrated it. Uh, when we first got married, I thought, you know, listen, I'm going to kind of lead in this. We should worship together. So we should sing and pray together. So we tried that for a little bit. The problem was I kept saying, that's the wrong harmony. <laughs> you know, could, could we do that again? And could we just try it from the... And it didn't really work, to be honest with you, okay? It re- we really missed the point. But, but <laughs> I missed the point. Not we. Let, let's own it. I missed the point, all right? Just sing that again. Could we try that in another key? I think you're struggling, darling. Yeah, it's not good. Not good. Not good. Carry on. Carry on. 
but praying together, praying together is so important because as I showed you last week, one in three couples will divorce. But if you pray together, the statistics are this, one in 10,000 will divorce. That's amazing. So one in three couples, Christian or not, may well divorce. But if you pray together, your chances of staying together will increase incredibly. And I said that to you last week, but I want to just give you a few tips on it, really. Not, not that we're perfect at it at all. Short and awkward is better than long and flawless. So when you're praying together, short and awkward is better than long and flawless. D- d- don't try and get all religious about it, because it's very humbling and it's very vulnerable praying with your partner. And a lot of Christian couples don't do it just because of that reason. Pray with each other, not at each other. Dear Lord, please help my wife with her attitude. <laughs> That's not going to go well. All right? Not going to go well. Not in, if you're going to pray like that, don't do it in the kitchen where the sharp knives, all right? Just, just as a hint, okay? So pray with each other, not at each other. Pray together with your children and for your children. You know there will come a time when you can't pray with your children. But there should never come a time when you don't pray for your children, no matter how old they get. You know, prayer is, <laughs> is almost more intimate than sex, researchers tell you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry, I just, just totally got lost then. I just, I just, what I was going to say, <laughs> what I was going to say is that there's something about praying together. I'm in trouble here. There's something about praying together that almost connects to the physical side of your relationship. So there was a phrase that said, the people who pray together stay together. How about the people who pray together have more sex? Just let me throw it out there. But there's something fantastic about how God has created marriage to be. That when you see that your life together as friends, spiritually, physically, in all ways are connecting, that's an awesome thing. So if you are married and you don't pray together, just start. Don't feel all guilty about having not done it. Just start. Sure, awkward, Better than long and flawless. Don't pray at each other and don't leave it too long till you pray. You know, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus this morning, you might think, what is all this about? You know, I want to encourage you. You too can deepen your roots in God. You don't have to believe everything to follow him. You don't have to behave in certain ways to follow him. You just have to try. You just have to step out. You just have to give it a go. Why don't you sing? Why don't you try praying? I don't know what to pray. Just pray whatever comes in your head. I'm amazed at some of the stories in this church at the moment. New people coming to faith. Many of you in this room, unchurched backgrounds, just praying for, uh, you know, to God in their workplace, learning how to do it at the moment. It is so inspiring. I love hearing new Christians pray. Because you see, see, when new Christians pray, it's real. It's like we haven't got any religious stuff around it. We're just praying real. And I encourage you, those of you who've been Christians a long time, let's get connected. Let's deepen our roots. Those of you who have not yet begun that journey, you can begin it. And you can begin it right now. You know, as I was in my chair, my new certain place praying this morning, God gave me two pictures. One of them is this. This is the dry bones. In Ezekiel 37, there's this image here, this, this vision that Ezekiel gets of this valley of dry bones. and So dry and all the bones are disconnected. And Ezekiel asks a question. He says, can these bones live? Well, God actually asks the question, can these bones live? And Ezekiel said, only you know that, God. And God says, of course they can. In a paraphrase. And, he, and then he says, you need to prophesy and I'll breathe my spirit and these dry bones will live. And as I was sitting there praying for you this morning and praying for me, then this other image came to my head of this plant. Every week we've been putting some plants up here. And the other week, last week, I noticed that someone put this up and I thought, that ain't really thriving to be fair. It's not really in line with what we're trying to communicate. 
And then, and then as I sat in that chair and I thought, and do you know what? Some of us in this room this morning feel a lot like that. We're alive. We're connected to God, but we're not really thriving right now. We're so dry. And some of our leaves are a little bit brown. And if you're to feel this soil, it's very, very dry. And here's the thing. The word revive in the Bible, you know, the word revive uh, literally means uh, this. It means to restore to life, to bring fresh energy or strength. And if you were to revive someone, you'd probably use one of two methods. You'd use water or you'd use breath. They both are pictures of the Spirit of God. And God loves nothing more than reviving us. So I'm going to ask the band to come back up. And what we're going to do is this. They're going to sing over you for a little moment. So I want to invite you to stand. Is that all right? Stand with us. They'll sing a new song, very simple, that just says, You revive me. You revive me, Lord. And as you begin to get into the song, I want to encourage you to sing, sing it as well. But even if you don't sing, that's not important right now. Be open for God breathing His Spirit into your life today. You see, I, I believe, and as I've been praying for you this morning, that some of you, you feel just like the dry bones. And you're asking, can these bones live? Can my life really live? Can I really thrive? Where I am, it's so dry and it's so dusty. Can I really thrive? Can the leaves of my life be really green? Can I really bring fruit? Do you know what? Yes, you can. Because He can revive you. And He revives us often through breath and sometimes through water. It's all His Spirit. And one of the things that I know I do personally, it really helps me sometimes in moments like this, is just to put my hands out there and say, God, I'm open for you. God, would you revive me? God, I want to receive from you. And so I'm going to ask the band to sing over you okay, and to you. And as you begin to get into the song, if you want to begin to sing it out as your prayer, then you do that. But in these minutes that we've got today, and just hang on a little bit. If we go a little bit over, it's okay. They'll hold on to your kids for a little bit longer, okay? Let's not miss the opportunity for God to revive us. This needs to be followed by a process of deepening our roots, all that I've said today. But right now, let God touch you. Let God breathe life into you. Let God restore you. I know I need this. Anyone else need that? Let God do it. You know, there's some dry bone situations in our world right now, isn't there? Situations that look hopeless. Think of the situation with those kids in Nigeria. Think of Syria again, still. Think of the Ukraine. Many, many other situations. I want to pray just for those right now as we finish. And you know, those dry bone hopeless situations are not hopeless situations. God can do something. We have to believe that. We do believe that. And it could be that your dry bone situation as well, you know, you need to know it's not hopeless neither because these bones can live. These bones can live. Join with me as we pray. Father, we thank you that you're an amazing God. We can know you, not just about you intellectually, but we can know you. You're not dead. God, you are not dead. You are so alive. And God, we thank you for that this morning. And God, we pray to a God who's alive. And we bring these kids in Nigeria to you right now, wherever they are. We ask, Lord God, that they would be found alive and well. We ask, God, that all those people that now from the international community are getting involved at last and are trying to do something about it. God, we pray for a good resolution to that. Father, we pray for Syria, the Ukraine, incredible, hopeless-looking situations. But you are alive and we ask you, God, to move. We ask you to move by the power of your Spirit. Let those bones live, we pray. And Father, for those of us in this room who have dry bone situations in our life, God, let those bones live. 
God, as we deepen our roots in you, as we find that certain place, as we find that seat, whatever it is, where we can connect with you, as we find our voice, as we, as we put you on the throne, God, as we do all these things that we've learned about this morning, God, would you let those dry bones live? God, would you revive us? Would you bring that breath? Would you bring that water? God, would you bring that life? We pray. God, the tough circumstances are there, but in the midst of that, we can thrive. So Lord, we pray that God, from now on, from this moment on, we won't just hear this. We won't just even receive, but we now will put something into practice. We will deepen our roots. And as we deepen our roots, God, you will revive us. You will give us the resources to respond well to the pressure that we find. God, we do that with you. And God, you do that in us. And we love you, Lord Jesus. You are amazing. You are amazing. You are not dead. You are alive. And we love you. And everyone said, Amen. And I want to encourage you as you go this morning. You know, someone at the end of the first service said this to me on the door. Said, you know what? You want to encourage the people at the second service to go and find their seat. To even sometime today, go and find a seat or somewhere where you can pray. And you pray. Put it into practice today. Don't wait for tomorrow. Go find it today. Just a few minutes. Say, God, I want to pray. I want to talk to you. I want to connect with you. Listen to worship music. Read a bit of the Bible. Just connect. Just deepen your roots a little bit. You'll be amazed at the difference that it makes.